Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham sponsored by NordVPN. Now we've got two cup exits to unfortunately talk about today. The FA Cup exit last Wednesday at Sheffield United and then Tottenham's Champions League exit at the hands of AC Milan yesterday. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, I don't think I need to ask how you're doing, do I? Oh, it's been an absolute cracking week. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Oh, Tottenham Hotspur, seriously. Three games, not a single goal between them for Spurs. They've been so, so, so bad. Um, and here we are trying to pick apart, really, what comes next and when what we think will probably happen happens. Um and yeah, I mean, we just got to start with the actual match itself yesterday, which was, oh, it was just a mess all of its own making as well. Yeah, let's get straight into yesterday's game then. Obviously, Tottenham going into the round of 16 second leg, needing to overturn a 1-0 deficit. They didn't manage to do so. It was 0-0 on the night at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So that means Tottenham's Champions League aspirations are over for yet another season. Ali, do you just tell us your thoughts, first of all, on the game? <laughs> oh, I don't know what's broadcastable. <laughs> um, I just felt like, you know, there was so much riding on the game. I think the fans were really up for it. There was so much like loud singing before the game. They were ready. But just everything from the club, the team, everything on the pitch, it was just like there was nothing really riding on it. It was such a weird game. And it completely killed any atmosphere that the crowd were trying to build. They just rocked up, went out there, the players, as if they weren't 1-0 down, as if they, you know, had all the time in the world and that they didn't even act like they were at home most of the game. It was so passive. It was so kind of hoping for the odd counter-attack. Um, it was the worst possible advert for Conte football, you know, on his return to the dugout as well. Um, they didn't look like they had any clear plan or idea of how to break Milan down. Um, and then afterwards, Conte just bigged up Milan as if they were the greatest team to have ever stepped foot on the uh, the turf at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And it was a bit like, all right, I get it. They're Italian. Yes, they won the league last year. Yeah, well, I get it. You've said that 7,000 times. We're, we're well aware now that they've done that um, if we weren't already. But this is not the Milan team of last season. This is a different Milan team. They're about 18 points off the top of the league in Serie A. They've lost key players that they had last season as well. They've lost players to injuries. I know Spurs have lost players to injuries. But to kind of talk about the attacking might of Milan, when you've got Harry Kane, Son Heung-min, Richarlison, um, Danjuma, Kulisevsky, Lucas Mora, it's like 
uh, that I must admit, that was one of the things after the game that I was just like, stop, just stop, <laughs> just stop saying it, please, because it just sounds ridiculous. Talking about how, you know, Giroud and Liao and Hernandez and players like that. It's like, you would get it. But you're at home. You've got so much of an attacking threat to take to that team. And Spurs just walked the ball around. The first 45 minutes, honestly, I'm not always ones for, uh, one for booze at halftime. But that one especially, maybe more than any, I had no, absolutely no qualms with the booze that came at halftime. Because the the players had not turned up and done the very simple kind of first part of the job they had to do, which was show some urgency. Show like there was a game that needed to be chased and won. It was so, like, made into a cat and mouse game, which didn't need to be. Um, and, you know, like I say, this is an AC Milan side that even when they were playing against 10 men couldn't score a goal. So it's not like Spurs were absolutely all over the place defensively. They really had to stay compact and all this sort of stuff. I just think that was over-egging it afterwards by Conte. Um, this was oh, just just really, you know, I put in my talking points. It's meh. It was just like there's nothing you could really write home about. Um, even analysing the game afterwards itself, it's very difficult to analyse too much of the game because not much actually happened. You know, Spurs are two shots on target. Two shots on target in a game where you've got to get two goals. Just incredible. Um, So many players off form. So many players look like they've completely lost their confidence. I'd say probably only Porro, Skip and Forster, I'd say, come out with much credit from that game. And that's about it. And that's pushing it. Um, Just everything. Like... Even like we thought there was going to be a TIFO. There was lots of talk about a TIFO before the game. And even that didn't appear. And it was just like, what is happening? Has anybody bothered to remember that you're 1-0 down in a Champions League um, knockout tie? It was just, it was pathetic. Um, And unfortunately, it comes at the end of an absolutely pathetic week as well. Um, Yeah, lots of frustration among the fans afterwards. Booze at halftime, booze at substitutions, booze at the final whistle. Um, and, yeah, it's it's not a good place to be right now, Tottenham Hotspur. I know there are other clubs, um, certainly further up the country, that are not having the greatest of times. Um, but <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur right now is an absolute mess. Um, and they need to figure out exactly what they are, because what they are right now, it's not looking too successful. No, uh, that was just terrible last night. I've seen some bad Champions League performances before, years gone past. I can remember one from Man City in the semi-final against Real Madrid 2016. Just didn't even have a go at them. And that was exactly what Tottenham served up last night. Two shots on target. The only ones I can remember in the first half was a very tame Emerson shot, what took a massive deflection. Took all the pace out of it. That was comfortable for uh, Mannion, the Milan keeper, and then a deflected Harry Kane cross as well in yeah. the first half. That was it. AC Milan were there for the taking last night. Absolutely. Very much so. Uh, they've not had a good title defence, as you were saying, 18 points behind Napoli. They've not had the best of starts to 2023, and their results had picked up in and around the first leg of the Champions League game, but they came into 
uh, yesterday's game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on the back of a 2-1 defeat at Fiorentina at the weekend. Certainly not the Milan team of last season or of yesteryear. Uh, Tottenham should have done so much more. If if you're going to go out of the Champions League, go out fighting, do all you can to go through. What Tottenham served up was just a meek, limp display. and It was just unacceptable, really. But I think we all had a feeling that it would probably was going to follow on from what happened at Sheffield United. Uh, you were one, telling me beforehand that we all had to be positive. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> to be honest. Whereas uh, I was saying, oh, I just got the feeling this isn't going to be great. Yeah, well, I mean, you do still have to be positive and obviously Tottenham have <laughs> some good players in there to get the job done. More than enough good players to get wow, more than enough. the job done. Can I done. just very quickly, because it will go out of my memory, uh, read the last paragraph of Antonio Conte's programme yeah, notes yeah. before the game. Um, it is important that we are positive in our approach and that we give you a performance that inspires you because we need this stadium to be as loud as it has ever been from the first minute until the last. First off, Absolutely no way in the world was that written by Antonio Conte. <laughs> that sounds nothing like a Conte paragraph or anything like his team mostly are. Um, and yeah, Spurs did anything but what he said in that paragraph. Um, yeah, it just, just bounced back into my head, so I thought I'd better quickly mention it. Yeah, uh, as I was going to say, uh, what we've seen this season from Tottenham pretty much throughout the campaign is really slow start to games and then, you know, pick up in the second half. And for Tottenham to go through last night, what they needed to do was a 90-minute performance and they just didn't What's that? deliver really? it all. I know we very rarely see them at Tottenham and, yeah, it's just... I don't, I don't know, really. I think you just got to laugh through the bad times, and because it's just so bad at the moment. It's... I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even support Tottenham, and it's bad enough watch, watching them, what they've served up recently. It's just unacceptable, really. Yeah, I just felt so sorry for the fans. It, like, the weather was rubbish. There was sleet coming down. Uh, the trains afterwards were a bit of a nightmare. I think the Victoria line was having problems as well. And that's what they get served up. You know, I said it after Sheffield, you know, all, they went all the way up there to be served up a very similar performance. Um, look, I, I know we're going to talk a lot about Conte and, and the owners as well, but I always say that the players shouldn't be kind of get off scot-free in these things and they were dreadful as well. It just feels like there's this fear factor about it all. Um, you know, while Conte was away, Almost like, you know, like when you're at school and the teacher's off for the day, so you get a substitute teacher and everyone's like, wee, you have a bit of fun. But sometimes that substitute teacher gets through to you and then they kind of they do show you things in a different way and you enjoy it and it, it's a different experience. And I, I think it's really awkward when you look back on it. And Sheffield United aside, you know, Spurs beat Man City, West Ham and Chelsea while Conte was away. And he comes back and in the last three games he's been back, Lost both games against Milan without really putting a glove on them. And they absolutely got mullered at Leicester. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just something within that team. They they just aren't reacting to him very well at the moment. And look, I know he's had a lot going on. We know about, obviously, all the 
the surgery and the recovery and issues of that, and I still don't think he looks 100%. I, I still maintain he looks a bit pale and doesn't quite look himself and looks a bit tired. Um, and obviously we know the, the tough stuff that's been going on for him this season with, with the you know the three close friends he's lost and, of course, living away from home yet again for another year. Um, but it's just not working with the players right now. And it's horrible to see. It's boring to see because, you know, I was saying this last night, that how many times now have we got to this scenario with Tottenham and managers and players and, and players not really seeming like they're responding to the managers anymore? Um, you know, we're going to talk about it. We had Richarlison even came out and had a bit of a pop at him as well, which is never, you know, is never a good sign. It's normally when things are starting to go a bit pear-shaped. Um, yeah, it was a dreadful game, dreadful performance, and I just feel so sorry for the fans because they deserve so much more. They're just long-suffering now. I mean, how long is this going to go on for? Yeah, very much so. Last night was just basically what signalled was just two parties who about to go the separate ways, who need to go the separate ways. A change certainly needs to happen going on what happened last night in N17. Uh, as you mentioned, the players who were poor, I think Son and Dane Kulisewski just did nothing of note, did they? In the final third, on the day when they needed to stand up and be counted, you know, all of Tottenham's big hitters, they just very rarely offered anything going forward. I think one thing what probably summed up Son's performance was the corner he took in the second half what just landed on the top of the net. Just yeah. nothing nothing was going for them. And it's one of these things. Conte's persisted with them all season. Yeah, they were so key to Tottenham getting that top four finish 12 months ago, you know, playing a pivotal role and forming that fantastic front three with Harry Kane, but they both look a shadow of the former selves now. I think they've got 11 goals between them this season. Son's got nine. Kulisevsky's got two. Uh, and this season, they've just not showed no signs of getting back to the best, really. Uh, and if that's the case, why aren't you taking them out of the team and putting others in? Uh, I know injuries have played a massive part this season and a number of the front line have been out for large periods, probably all by Harry Kane. But last night, maybe another manager would have taken Son and Kulisevsky off at halftime and putting the likes of Richarlison and Anna Danjuma on. You know, you're on the verge of going out Who? of the Champions League. <laughs> Brian who's Hill's replacement. Brian yeah, Hill's replacement. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, that guy that sits on the bench. Yeah. Yes, it's in Jed Spencer's place. You know, you're going out <laughs> on the verge of going out of the Champions League. You need to make a change. If you're going to go out, go out fighting. You know, Richarlison and Dan Juma will give you a bit of fight, a bit of drive, something different in the final third. You need to change things. And he he, he just didn't. I, with Son and Kulisewski, it showed no signs of working like all season. So why continue to persist with it? I just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, it was... No, I'd, I'd put Kane in there as well. I don't think Kane had a good game at all. Um, I think... He was trying various things that just weren't coming off because Milan were just swarming numbers around him, I guess, and then trying to stop him 
controlling and, and this is part of the problem as well is the, is the formation is a formation that did Spurs wonders last year you know the 343 looked really good and it got the best out of a lot of players but I think everyone's just got so wise to it and they know what it's going to be week in week out and obviously we know Conte is very much a, a coach that has his set formation and he believes that as long as the players do what they're meant to do that formation is going to work but the problem is, is the three-four-three right now. You're playing certainly yesterday. You're playing with two wing backs in Perisic, who has absolutely gone off the boil. Um, he's gone from looking a guy defying his age to looking every bit his age. Um, and I would say, to be fair to him, he took a big whack in the first half as well, which I think would have limited him a bit. Then you've got Emerson Royale, who, and I will always say this: when you need him to defend in those games, superb, and that's why he's got a lot of his plaudits. Man- um, not manager of the month, that could be the next <laughs> step for him. Player of the month nomination, but in your game when you need to attack and get forward, he's just not the man to make that wing back role work in that respect. Uh, so that's the initial issue. But then the other problem you got is with the three four three, is it's not really a game uh, a formation for playmakers. So it means that, excuse me, Spurs have only got really Kane and at times Kulisewski trying to create things, whereas the rest of the players are kind of runners. Um, whereas you look at last night, it was crying out for something like a four-two-three-one and just have those three behind Kane, someone pulling the strings behind him in more of a like a th- slipping through balls into his path and stuff. And yeah, it, it just. It's absolutely kind of killing them at the moment. The formation, the lack of confidence. I mean, Sonny, I'm one of Sonny's biggest fans. Uh, he's got a lot of credit in the bank for me for everything he's done for Spurs over the seasons. But I'd probably say last night might have even been his worst performance in a Spurs shirt. I'd maybe go as far to say. Because there's been other games where he's been off the boil and he's done things, he's lost possession or whatever, but you've seen little moments from him where you can say, okay, he's going to change the game. Or you can still see he's had a run or something. He's beaten a man. I just saw nothing yesterday. And like you say, this is why I think players like Richardson speak out and get angry is because you look at Son's season and you look at the struggles he's had. And for him to have only come out of the team three times, it's, and two of those in the last three weeks, it's 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 being stubborn to a point of... Just like, oh, no, he's going to play his way out of this. He's going to play his way out of this. But, you know, we're, whatever we are, what are we, eight months in, something like that, seven months in, um, and it's not working. Sometimes, whether they like it or not, or whether the fans like it or not, sometimes players need to have a reset. They need to take a little moment out of the spotlight. They need to recharge, refocus. Um, you know, like, I think Hugo Lloris, when he comes back, will probably be a better uh, for it like I know it's it's not ideal but I think we saw when he got injured in that season at Brighton came back and he probably played the best football of his career sometimes you just need a little bit of a, a time away and a mental refresh um, I just don't think Son's ever been given that and he's had some little injuries as well by the sounds of it and likewise with Kulisevsky we're talking about a very young player his is a different thing it's an inconsistency that comes with a young player but he kind of fooled us all into thinking he was going to be, you know, he's never going to have these moments because he just had made such an incredible start to life in England. But he's now out of form. And just this 
inability or unwillingness to change things up and to bring Dan Juma in and essentially make him the guy that carries the water around. It's just ridiculous. He scored six goals in the Champions League last season. He scored goals against Juventus and Bayern Munich in the last 16, this round and the uh, quarterfinals. Yet there he is, the guy left on the bench. Um, I, I just I find it bewildering. Um, and I don't understand this kind of... It is, it's just this thought of, oh yeah, but in the 92nd minute or whatever, I'd still trust Sonny to come up with the goods. And it's a bit like, I don't think this season at the moment he's in a position to do that because his confidence has taken such a battering. And if anything, you're just pushing him out there and he's hearing the groans of the fans when he loses the ball. I mean, Sonny's hold-up play last night was was awful. He was just kept kind of... It's just the ball was bouncing off him almost. Um, again, that's not to say he's on his own in that, but yeah, attacking-wise, there's just nothing to it. And you're relying on players like Pierre-Emil Hoybier to be like your midfield playmaker. Um, and he can play some balls like that, but it's not his role. That's a role for a, someone like a Madison and players like that. Um, it's just all too boring and predictable at the moment. And three games without scoring is just... You know, I think the worst thing that could have happened to Harry Kane was getting that goal record. It's, I think he, even he's only got like one since, hasn't he? It's just like almost the whole team was like, yeah, let's get him to the record and we're done. So like, no, 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 you're not. There's loads of the season left. Um, yeah, so, so poor going forward. I mean, even that last chance for Kane, it's the kind of one that in the past he'd have gobbled that up. And then even that was just like a kind of a, a weak header. Um, yeah, yeah, tough night. Bad night for Spurs. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah, going on what you were saying about the formation, Tottenham are cr- crying out for more creativity in the team. That's why I thought last night maybe would have probably been the ideal game to start Pedro Porro. Uh, did a piece yeah. on this on the eve of the game. I was just thinking you've got to go all out for this game. You need as many attacking players in your side as possible, really. And given his experience in the Champions League, the fact he's got three goals, 11 assists this season, also coupled with the fact that it's a continental style of football rather than, you know, the pace and intensity of the Premier League, uh, what he needs to try and adapt to. I just think it was really tailor-made for him. And, he did make an impression when he came on. Spurs were certainly better for it when Porro came onto the pitch, but by yeah. then it's just too little too late. Really, you're just giving yourself a massive uphill task in the second half. Tottenham need more creativity in there. And we were talking in the press box about the formation and Conte showed no signs of changing his formation in his, what, 15 months in the job? So he's certainly not going to do it in an important Champions League game. No. And uh, I think he's just going to, as long as he is in the job, just continue to persist with it. Uh, as I was saying, he's just showed no signs of changing so far. So why is he going to change now? Yeah. And the irony was we got an early sub as well. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was like one yeah. thing that we moaned about, we got, and it made very little difference. Oh, it was just such a poor night. It really, really was. On the subjects of the subs then, uh, we'll talk about that first before we uh, go on to Christian Romero because uh, there's quite a bit to discuss about him. The subs, there was one. What made uh, a number of fans uh, the frustrations, that was when Davinson Sanchez came on for Dame Kuliseski in the closing stages after Christian Romero's red card. Tottenham fans not impressed at all at a time when they needed to be going for the game. I can understand Conte's thinking behind it because they needed someone else on the pitch, you know, to allow Porro to go back into a forward role and just to ensure that they're not leaving themselves open and then conceding and tie over. But at the same time, bring Dan Juma on, bring, I don't know, Lucas Moore on. You're going for a goal, you need to attack. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. I I thought it looked terrible, the substitution. Aesthetically, it was the worst thing that they could have done. I kind of understood it tactically. Like you say, Porro had ended up having to drift back into the side of the back three in this uh, the 10-man team, and that's of no benefit to Spurs whatsoever. So I think essentially Conte kind of made a decision that Kuliszewski wasn't doing it. So in a weird way, it was almost Porro was replacing Kuliszewski. He was thinking, let's put Sanchez where Porro is. So you've got a back three, just in case they do, you know, come away at the other side. And also it's another aerial threat from set pieces, I guess. And this way we'll push Porro up and Porro will get into more advanced positions and maybe try and create something because he had looked quite bright. That's trying to look at it from a devil's advocate kind of point of view. If I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan watching what, 11 minutes to go, chasing a 1-0 deficit, watching Davinson Sanchez brought on, I can absolutely understand people going absolutely mad about it because it was aesthetically awful looking. And there's some footage. We're yet to really understand whether it was the case or not. But some of the footage looks like Ryan Mason it was not impressed either. Um, and that he's like even shrugging his shoulders to Harry Kane, who maybe was asking about it. I must stress, we're not entirely sure whether that was the case or not. It may be that, let's say, he was um, unimpressed or struggling to understand why it was taking so long for the substitution to be allowed to happen. It could be that. But again, it's another one that, from the outside, doesn't look great. Um, And yeah, uh, you know, I could argue to the cows come home about why Dan Juma wasn't on that pitch and I still don't understand that um, but yeah I mean it's one of those I think was it you or, I think it might have been you said that you know Sanchez comes on and bangs in a header or something from a, a set piece then it's like okay well it, it's justified but the way that game was going it was never going to end up being justified whatsoever um, and it felt it had I don't know about you, but it kind of had that Lucas Moura, Nuno, Man United kind of thing about it. It felt almost like the fans were really just saying, oh, we're sick of your decisions kind of thing. That was the vibe I got from it. Um, And yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the future and what comes next and the run of fixtures to come as well. um, And whether it actually does end up being the end of Antonio Conte or not in the, in the, 
not not completely, but you know, in a football sense, um, at Tottenham. But I did feel that that moment was one of those, and it was a uh, one of those performances that you see those end of days performances where the players don't seem to be giving absolutely everything. I know they say they do afterwards; that's the standard line. But I think you can tell sometimes outside without the urgency, without the throwing themselves to everything. Were they really fighting for Conte? I don't know if I can 100% hand on heart say that they look like they were, but they might say otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it was always going to be hard to try and break down AC because obviously they came with the advantage and then got to do everything possible possible to hold on to that. But then again, when you if you watch the game back, it just had the feeling of, you know, a game towards the end of the season with nothing riding on it at all. You couldn't tell that Tottenham needed to go out and score goals and were on the verge of crashing out of the Champions yeah. League. It was so, so poor. And Tottenham certainly went, weren't helped in the last 15 minutes or so with Christian Romero seeing red for two yellow cards. I did a piece on the morning of the game basically saying two Tottenham players were walking the disciplinary tightrope. If they got a yellow card in the game, then they would miss a potential first leg of a quarterfinal Champions League clash. Two in question, Christian Romero and Clement Longley. 17 minutes in, Christian Romero in the referee's book following a really, really bad tackle on uh, Rafael Leao. Absolutely sent him flying, crashing to the ground. And then Longley got a bit of a debatable one, I think, for when he went up. For a header with Giroud and caught him. Conte wasn't impressed at all and... Both got yellow cards, uh, Longley got one and then Conte as well for you know his reaction. He just wasn't impressed with the referee's decision. And then, what, 15 minutes from time, Romero crashing into Teo Hernandez right in front of the AC Milan bench and you just know what's going to happen. And it was a bad enough tackle, but when you've got everyone from the AC Milan bench coming out and you know making the case, then there was only going to be one decision for the ref. I think Romero tried his best. Uh, obviously saying he had an injury wanted to delay the inevitable and hoping it didn't happen but in the end it did uh, reckless from Romero and I think you put in your talking point Tally that's now 23 bookings in 54 matches for him it's just madness and what made me chuckle although it shouldn't have in that moment when he got the red card when it was brandished he looked shocked and it's like, what are you shocked about? You've absolutely wiped him out. And I don't think it's any coincidence it's the same player who pretty much took him out on the way to setting up the first goal, the killer goal in the San Siro. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was one of those, I, I said this in my talking points as well, it's like we all watched it and we knew what was going to happen. We knew before Romero even started going that, oh, he's going to run across and wipe him out. He's absolutely, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, he's done it. And then, yeah, he had that moment. I have fear that he probably did end up injuring himself because it was such a stupid challenge um, and he, then he's gone down hasn't he into the the technical area which is like a slope so I, I saw Conte was asked in his Spurs play interview about it afterwards and he wasn't sure what had happened um, as in injury wise but yeah with the way R- Romero's time at Spurs have gone I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a long injury layoff now as well but um, I just it's so frustrating because there's such a terrific player in there. There is a potential world-class defender in there. B- 
but it's almost like sometimes he reverts to a 12-year-old on the playground and he just makes these kind of ridiculous decisions um, involving like, timing um, and, or sorry, a lack of timing and in ill discipline as well. And I'm sorry, but how the coaching staff have not got that out of him this season and just like said, no, you can't do that. I mean, 23 bookings in 54 matches is one almost every other game. Three red cards in only, what, 18 months since he's been at the club? And each time putting his side in big trouble, um, it's, you know, we used to kind of have this narrative of, oh, he picks up yellow cards, but he doesn't actually take any further. He's quite good at not doing that. He's thrown that idea out the window now. He is just, he is reckless. He's, he's... (sighs) It's so painful to say because he's such a good defender and his aggression definitely has benefits. But when he doesn't know how to control it properly, he's just a liability. And that's just so painful to watch for a guy that can be so, so much better than that. Um, And yeah, obviously, had it just been the yellow card, he would have missed the next game. I'd imagine a red card surely must carry over into next season. You were looking at rules. Was it just yellows or was it red as well? I'm not sure, to be honest. That's what I was thinking after the game. Yeah. I know it was saying suspensions uh, basically are wiped out come the end of the season, but I'm not sure when it comes to red cards. But then again, if it's a red card, two yellows, that's surely just a one-match ban, as would yeah, be the maybe. same if he picks up three yellows. So. Obviously, we'll find out next season. That's, of course, if Tottenham still are in European competition. Well, it means he'll get to play in the Conference League, so that's great. <laughs> um, no, hopefully not. Hopefully, hopefully, it'll be a better competition than that. But, um, I mean, even the photo, I attached the photo of my player ratings after the game. And just even looking at the photo, it's a ridiculous challenge. His legs are like where his head should be. They're so high. Um, and Hernandez is like in the air. So what did he think was going to come out of that situation? Did he think he was going to win the ball kind of in the air with his foot flying out like that? Um, It's such a shame because he is Spurs' best defender by a mile, but he's also their biggest liability by a mile as well because of that indiscipline. Yeah, yeah, not good. Um, But it's the coach's job to work. He's only young, he's 24, relatively young for a centre-back. Um, although I would say that the Milan defenders were pretty young as well, and they all seemed to perfectly measure the situation across the two games. Um, so it's not really should be an excuse. But, ah, uh, oh, Romero. You know, this guy is Serie A Defender of the Year, won the World Cup, won the Copa America, and now it's like he's reverted to a, a, a childlike state sometimes in some of his decision-making. Um, yeah, he needs to be so much better. He really does. Right, before we go into Antonio Conte's Tottenham future, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yep, as I'm sure you're more than aware, and if you're not, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, and you can use this service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favourite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Certainly something that I've used this service many times uh, in recent years, whether I'm working abroad and I need to access things from home 
whether I need to access services as if I'm in a different country, things I've paid for back home that I can then access when I'm abroad because for some reason they put restrictions on what you've actually paid for yourself and you should be able to access anyway. It's also very good, though, for security and keeping things safe on your computer if you're using uh, public Wi-Fi and things like that. It's, it's, it's a very, very clever um, service. Uh, but not only that, the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services, like I say, or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. Uh, let's say you could book flights from other countries. They could be cheaper too. So it all really means that you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. And there's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN. So why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, let's get into Antonio Conte's Tottenham future then. That is just a massive, massive talking point now after what has been a really horrendous week for the club. FA Cup exit, Champions League exit, and now Liverpool right on their tails in the race for the top four. Daniel Levy's got a huge decision. I think it's fairly evident that it does appear that Antonio Conte won't be at Tottenham Hotspur next season. That would be a major, major shock if he's still in charge. So that leaves Daniel Levy with huge this decision to make, whether we just prolong this uh, spell with Antonio Conte as Tottenham manager or the make a, a quick move and look to change things before the end of the season. What does he do then? Uh, well... I mean, they were quite quick this morning to put out there. We always get an email ahead of a press conference uh, inviting us to Antonio Conte's press conference <coughs> Excuse me, um, at Hotspur Way on Friday, um, which obviously suggested that there was no real um, imminent change in the offing. Um, and then we were just talking before we came on air that the, the fixtures that are to come, Forest, Southampton, Everton, Brighton and Bournemouth, you know, they are certainly fixtures that, oh, our classic expression, on paper, someone should be expected to win as a Tottenham manager. Um, obviously, logic can suggest otherwise in terms of, you know, three teams scrapping for their lives and two teams that have had very good seasons and have potential to, you know, play very well against Tottenham. Um, Conte was asked about his future, of course, last night. Um, his Italian quotes, he did a, a little, he had to talk to all the broadcast agencies before he did his press conference. And it was one in particular to Amazon Prime, the Italian Amazon Prime, who obviously must have had broadcast rights for the game, which was the one where translation wise, it was not great. Um, he said, uh, I continue to work. I have a contract with Tottenham. I respect the contract. At the end of the season, assessments will be made with the club in the most serene way. I must stress this is a translation. I'm sure it was exactly how he said it. I'll have my say. I have a contract about to expire. And let's see how the season ends. Maybe they can send me away even earlier. Perhaps the expectations were higher and may be disappointed. What matters for a coach is trying to work and raise the bar. This year, we're struggling to raise the bar. Bringing the level from average to good is much simpler while raising it, raising it again, problems arise. So, yeah, I don't think the translation there of maybe they can send me away even earlier helps. Almost sounds like he's he's hoping for it. 
Whereas I think I'm sure he's just saying, you know, it's not down to me. Maybe they'll get fed up with me and want to get rid of me earlier. Uh, but obviously, with the the knowledge that you know, he's ob- obviously missing his family back in Italy. It doesn't read well um, as a translation. Ah, uh, with Conte, I think it's all going to boil down to the players really, and and what the clubs see. Um, and whether there's any connection and fighting for him anymore. Like I say, it bores me so much because we've been here so many times. It feels like almost every couple of years at the moment that there's a point when we start to get the old training stories. Players are upset about the training sessions, which are either A, too tiring, or B, not tiring enough. It's like every time we get these stories come out, it's always agents or or players or anyone puts it out there, um, and then we and we start to see it in matches. You know, we've seen we saw it towards the end of Poch's time. Some of the performance towards the end were like they were players that had just almost just decided they'd given up. Uh, we saw it under Mourinho towards the end. We definitely saw it at Nuno pretty swiftly, unfortunately for him. And I just this last week. Look, you could argue against Wolves. They certainly would try to create. And they were, you know, 21 shots on goal. But I think you'd struggle in the two cup exits to see a team that was really that fussed about losing. And that's what probably hurts the fans the most. Um, and yeah, we'll see. As Conte recovers more and more and he's able to, I guess, it's the old cliche that we keep talking about with Conte. If having these full weeks to work with players, if he gets them, is that going to make a difference? But if it doesn't, I think we're at the scenario now where if you know next season is very unlikely to have Antonio Conte as the Tottenham Hotspur head coach, there'll be a panic. There'll be at some point, there'll be a panic about the lost money of the Champions League. And I think that will kick it into gear. It will be a, are we at the stage where if we bring anyone else in just to change the dynamic, do we have a better chance of making all our Champions League money that we want to make? And I think that's ultimately what will dictate what happens in the coming weeks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's uh, a tough one. Uh, for me, I'd probably just bite the bullet and just after the Forest game, maybe go go the separate ways. Uh, this situation just can't continue. And, you know, with Conte, I think everyone pretty much knows that he'll, he'll be going at the end of the season. I think that's fairly evident to everyone. So it's just like, well, why prolong it? Just make a change now. It's still March. Got an international break coming up. So do you then do you then just put Ryan Mason in charge for the rest of the season, or do you, if you want Pochettino, do you go for him now whilst he's available? I mean, there's quite a few managers out of work as well. Yeah, I mean, if Levy wants Pochettino, go for him now. Just get him in, give him until the end of the season to work with the players and then they can start next season, you know, 
fingers crossed, on fire, having had a good few months beforehand, rather than coming in in the summer, trying to get everything, you know, in place, playing to his style of football. And then, you know, the results might not be the greatest at the start of the season whilst everyone tries, you know, to get into his, his way. So maybe if you want Pochettino, just go for him now. Uh, I just something needs to change. It really does. Yeah, well, this is the other thing for Conte is that we had a very similar situation last season when they were out of everything. Um, but at that point, look, this is the thing that I think Conte likes to do in clubs. He likes to go in, shake things up and create a bit of a them and us scenario. And I think he was doing a really good job, whether indirectly or not, of pitching himself really with the fans in terms of wanting to be ambitious against the owners, um, you know, who obviously have made their mistakes over the years. Um, and I feel like that worked absolutely fine last season. And, you know, and the second half of the season or the, or the latter third of the season was a good one. And it absolutely, he had the fans out, eating out the palm of his hand. You know, there was, they were winning games. This time around, it, it's different. And it feels like he's lost a fair chunk of the fan base now. Um, you know, there's, of course, there's people still very angry with the, with the owners and I understand their frustrations with a fair bit of what they say, but I do feel like at the moment, the overwhelming, I mean, obviously we have to kind of keep an eye on social media and we have to get the sense of the crowd at the stadium. I would say right now, probably the overwhelming feeling is probably towards Conte right now. And I'm not entirely sure whether he's aware of that or not. You know, he talks about time and patience and building foundations and processes and all that. And all of that's great if you can see any evidence of those foundations and the process being built. And that's the problem right now. Um, you know, there doesn't look like there's a foundation being built. I, I don't know what Spurs' identity is. I don't know what kind of brand of football they want to be known for. I don't see players developing and progressing this season at all. Conte did good stuff with a lot of these players last season, but I don't see, I'm trying to think of anyone, maybe barring Benton Kerr before his injury, that has had a better season around this time. And Benton Kerr had a great season last season when he came in. Um, and this is the problem with Spurs right now. The, all this talk of processes and building for the future, you know, I'd hate to hark back to the past, but as, as that past may be the future... You know, they had a guy that was building a foundation and a process. And at the first sign of real trouble in a squad that was stagnating desperately. Um, and, you know, there just had to be an acceptance that, okay, Pochettino has got this credit in the bank. He's got Spurs to three top three finishes, a fourth place finish, and a Champions League final. If there's anyone in recent memory, that we're going to say, all right, do you know what? If we're going to accept that we maybe need to take this season and go backwards a little bit, but in order to take step forwards in the future, maybe, yeah, you're the man. Let, let, let's, let's let you do that because you've earned this right. No, instead, Daniel Levy sees Jose Mourinho in the background going, hello, and he looks at him and goes, oh, yeah, that guy won loads of trophies. Of course he's going to come to Tottenham, which is exactly the same as Chelsea, and he's going to do exactly the same thing. 
And it was just, you look back, that has to be one of the costliest, daftest decisions a chairman has made at a football club at this kind of level. You look at the money. I think it was Matt Law did a tweet this morning, uh, which he I think he used the figure maybe if you add it all up, 50 million, something like that. In all the paying off of all the managers, the hiring of certain managers, but I would actually add on top of that, I'd add on the millions spent on buying players to suit those certain managers who ended up leaving anyway or shoved out on loan with no real um, transfer fee for them. I think it is one of the costliest decisions. I know people have a lot of issues with Daniel Levy about certain things and not spending on this. For me, I think that ranks as the staffedest thing that he has done while in charge of that football club because it has. It's come back to bite him spectacularly. Uh, three f- managers who, look, I wouldn't say Conte was a failure last season at all. I do think he had a good season. But when you look at where it's going, has have they been able to get anywhere near what they did with Pochettino? And that was in a compromised Tottenham as well. That was in a Tottenham that spent even less than they could right now. Um, and were in between three different home stadiums. Technically four, if you want to count MK Dons, where they played for a game as well. Um, I just feel like, well, I hope, I hope that in these quiet moments, Daniel Levy reflects on that decision and thinks, yeah, that was an absolute mess. I can't believe I did that. Um, look, there's no guarantee that it would have worked out and it may have continued to stagnate. Um, and yes, the performances towards the end were pretty dreadful, but I still wonder whether you just had to ride through that and rebuild. Um, and I'd still maintain that he was the guy that deserved that chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think he comes back? What I would say, I don't entirely think it's a foregone conclusion that he wants to come back right now, despite what everyone's thinking. But where else does he go then? I mean, in three and a half years since he left, he's only had the one job. He's not been in a job for... When did he leave PSG? End of last season? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what I would say, I'd say that there's a lot of noise coming from Madrid that they might, because they've tried twice before to get him. They might try a third time this summer if Ancelotti is not sticking around. And he's not, is he? Actually, he's got the job, didn't he? Um, where's he going? Ancelotti. I know there was talk of the Brazil job. but Yeah, was it the some, Brazil job? I don't know if someone's already been appointed. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. But what I would say about Real Madrid... Same as PSG. He's oh, not I agree. A, a long-term job. He could be out of, you know, out of a job within six months or something like that. I can remember Rafael Benitez. Uh, I don't know why I mentioned him on this podcast, but he was always <laughs> touted for uh, the Madrid job because of the work he'd done at Liverpool. And then he he uh, left within months because he was sacked. So he's... Poch always, well, when he was at Tottenham, seems to be like a project manager, someone who takes time to build something. That's not going to be that at Madrid for him. It's not, but it's Madrid. It yeah. is. I think it's one of those that it's so difficult to turn down for your CV, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's... 
I think Madrid becomes a potential, which, but then maybe that's a case of Spurs then try and act before the summer. Um, but I also think maybe even more importantly than that is has enough changed at Tottenham? And if things have changed, have they changed for the better? Is this a club right now that is set up to for Pochettino to have the success he had? I mean, before, was it maybe a, a tighter-knit club, less people involved? Was it easier for him to foster this family atmosphere? Whereas now, you know, Fabio Paratici's come in and he's, you know, he's created a structure that's got about a million different people in it, all doing, you know, like Steve Hitchin was there as a technical performance director. There's about four different people now doing similar tasks to what he was doing. I mean, and how easy is that for Pochettino to slip into that? We know he's not the biggest fan of technical director types, sporting directors. Um, will Fabio Paratici even be at the club? Um, you know, in what? Well, I mean, we're, we're anticipating the appeal decision should come any anywhere between the next, I think it's fortnight to a month. If that is a failed appeal, then... UEFA and FIFA will be asked to extend the ban globally. That then makes it near impossible for Parasitchi to do his job at Tottenham. Um, does that also impact then what other managers they might be able to look at? You know, will there be managers that Parasitchi looks at? Personally, from the experiences of everyone appointed at Tottenham, it's very rare that Daniel Levy is not the man that picks the, the next manager. The only one I can think of is Nuno, uh, who Paratici pretty much had to convince him, showed him videos of his Valencia side and things like that to try and convince him, oh, no, no, he can play attacking football. That was a lie. Um, and, yeah, even Conte, that that was Levy-driven more than Paratici. That was one that Levy really wanted. Um, Mourinho, we know it was. Even Poch. Poch was one that after Van Gaal turned them down, Poch went to, sorry, Levy went to get Poch rather than, um, I think it was Franco Baldini at the time was pushing Frank de Boer as the uh, the one that it should be. So yeah, any I don't think we should have any kind of uh, delusions that it's not going to be Daniel Levy picking this next person. And, and Poch is a fascinating case because I've said this before and I maintain it, there's not an overwhelming kind of, majority of the board that want Poch back I think if that was one that Levy wanted he would have to push that through kind of with his own belief in it um, and it would definitely I think cause a few issues with with other people at that club um, but on the flip side you've also got to consider how important Harry Kane is in the next decision over who the next manager is because Look, let's be honest, with every passing month, Harry Kane gets more and more power over where his what his future is, something he hasn't had in previous years. Um, and if you say to Harry Kane, look, I know it's a dangerous thing and I know like, one man should be bigger than the club, but does it get to the point where they say to Harry Kane, who do you want? Because he is that important to the club and tying him down maybe to this last big contract. Do they ask him who he wants? And if he says Poch... Does Levy just have to swallow his pride, admit the biggest... I mean, it's the biggest public admission of mistake ever if you go back to the guy you sacked four years ago and say, please come back, it'll be different this time. Um, you know, 
that would be a big thing for Kane. And I'm trying to think, if I'm Harry Kane, who changes my mind about whether I can win anything at Tottenham? I don't know if there's many managers that would, because you're, you know, you're not going to get a Guardiola, someone like that. You're not going to get them. You've got different avenues you go down. Do you try again down the they've won elsewhere, maybe we'll squeeze them into our setup like a Tuchel, like a Luis Enrique type, someone like that? Or do you try another young gamble of an appointment, like a Deserby? Although I think he's got sort of like an eleven point five million pound release clause, so he'd be quite an expensive gamble as well. Or a, an Amarin or Thomas Frank at Brentford. Um, you know, I think eventually um, Vincent Company. I think it's obviously going to be a very uh, interesting um, option. I think for clubs as well. Um, Carrick's and, doing know, really well as well at Borough. Carrick, yeah, yeah Carrick's doing very well. Um, unfortunately, I don't think Scott Parker is right now. He's no. got uh, sacked again, hasn't he, from uh, Club Bruges? Unfortunately. Um, but then you've also got um, like, say, if Paratici even has any power left, because it must be diminishing with this ban. But you know, does he try and push the claims of someone like Spalletti? You know. Um, with Napoli, like we were saying earlier, 18 points clear. Technically, if I'm Spalletti, I'm going, what? <laughs> like, why would I come to Tottenham right now? You know, this is a team that, you know, I'm just about to win Serie A by a, a huge amount. Um, and, yeah, it doesn't really make much sense to me. And also, he, he'll he know that Pratich's future probably isn't going to be the most secure. Um, yeah. Honestly, there's so many different ways I could go with this, but I'm trying to think in my mind, where does Kane, where would Kane want Spurs to go? And I think the only one that stirs up some emotions is Poch, because I don't think he stays for a young gamble of a manager. Um, Tuchel, maybe, but do you go for your fifth ex-Chelsea manager? It's almost like just trying to follow their blueprint, but failing because you don't provide the same environment. Luis Enrique is an interesting one, but then does, you know, his experience, obviously, it's mainly um, Barca and Spain. Roma. I think he was, well, I was about Roma. to say Roma. Yeah, he was at Roma, I think. So can he adapt to Tottenham? Can he adapt to a very different kind of style of league and, and management? Oh, honestly, I know we say this every time, but this decision, whatever is made, has to be the right one because it's going to be the biggest one. Yeah, as you were saying about the Zerbi, 11 million or whatever in compensation, that's a lot for a manager, but that's not a lot for a player in today's transfer market. Yeah, really. but they never see it like that, do they, for some no, reason? They always see it as a different thing. It's weird. But that could be 11 million and you're getting a game changer who completely changes the club, potentially. Yeah. So, I but also, I mean, on that note, they must be looking at Ten Hag. And thinking yeah. there was a gamble we didn't take. You know, he was spoken to. They spoke to him, uh, Hansi Flick, uh, Fonseca. Fonseca was the only one I know was on both the original shortlist and the one that Paracicchi uh, came in with as well. Um, Fonseca's doing all right. A Lille, they're not too bad. They're quite an attractive side to watch. Um, Flick, obviously, with Germany. and uh, But Ten Hag is the shining example of why? Why did you not go? You know, I've been so impressed with it. I know, obviously, they got tonked by Liverpool the other day. 
But you look at what he's done in a club where it's far more difficult to operate and everyone said he was going to lose the battle of the egos and all that. He's gone on in there and absolutely laid down the law. They're a better team for it. They play some good football. They're higher up the table. They've won a trophy. I'm sorry, but if I'm Spurs, I'm thinking, why didn't we just say yes, please, to him? And from what I understand, at that point, he was willing to come as well. It's just a series of bad decisions continually being compounded by the next one. There's no guarantee with managers, though. It's the same as players. I mean, you're looking at appointing Mourinho and Conte proven winners. Yeah, the football might not be great, but more often than not, they end up with a trophy. But that's just not been the case at Tottenham. So whoever comes in... Less money. Yeah, yeah, there's just no guarantee. Uh, What I would say now, then, is what is the best option for Tottenham until the end of the season? Amid all the doom and gloom, they're still three points clear of Liverpool in the top four race. 12 games left. You know, Liverpool, I think the start of April, do have a bit of a tough run coming up. Where I think it's like the likes of Chelsea, City and Arsenal in a row. No midweek football really for Tottenham. So is Conte the best man to get a top four finish? Or do you just well, look this- at someone else? Well, no, this is what I say. It's like, as long as Conte is um, heading in the right direction, I don't think the board panic because they think, like I say, look, we know how financially motivated Tottenham can be at times or, or quite a lot of the time. And I do think their entire decision will be based on whether they are worried whether they're going to drop out of the top four or not. And I think... At this moment in time, like I say, we look at those fixtures. Let's be honest. Forest come on Saturday. They've got the worst away record in the Premier League. They've won just once in their 12 matches. I think they've got three draws. Um, If they can't turn things around, if they lose or don't even beat, I'd say, a team like that on Saturday, I think you make a decision. I'd, I'd go as cut and dried as that. Because if they cannot do that, then that tells me, well, how in the world are we going to beat the other ones to come? There's clearly something's gone in this team. Um, so I think you do that. But if they win, and if they win reasonably convincingly, and that gets a few players' belief and confidence back, and then, like I say, you know, you've got those games to come against Southampton. I know it's away, and they're not, they are finding little bits of form at the moment, but still a game you've got to do. Then there's that team, you know, the team you know well, uh, that Everton lot which obviously is a far more difficult game than it was. But again, a team that if you think if you get an early goal against, and I know that's a huge ask with Tottenham right now, you know, the, the confidence thing might might come into play. Um, yeah, I just feel like they'll continue with Conte until they're worried it's, um, what's the word? Until he's, well, essentially until he's no longer um, the best man for the job. Um, And then, yeah, and then you've got your decisions. You've got, do you just wait until the summer, despite the fact there's a few people available, um, and you put Ryan Mason in there? Spurs like to do that. They like to take their time and think until the summer and then make a complete and utter mess of it. Um, As 
the summer of 2021 showed us, which was the most farcical thing that I really never want to repeat again. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's still very much results dependent, starting with Saturday. Um, and Conte himself, I can't see him quitting. I'd be surprised at that. We were speaking about this yesterday in terms of is that could they dress it up as a health thing? I don't think they can at this point because, you know, I think I said to you, it's quite difficult. It wouldn't be the greatest look if they were to sack a guy that's just come back from major sur- or emergency surgery um, and has lost all these people this season. There are extenuating circumstances. And look, he's lost some key players to injury as well. You know, he's captain and Bentonker and Suma, one of the summer signings out as well. So, yes, there's definitely been some, as he calls them, alibis, um, which I don't think is the best use of the word, but that's what he calls them. Um, but I think there just has to come a point when uh, Tottenham will do what they think is best for them. Um, and uh, we shall see when it comes. Champions League places, you know, very much up for grabs. Tottenham in for three-point lead over Liverpool. A lot of football still to be played and Champions League is what everyone aspires to be and wants to compete in. Obviously, it's the biggest prize in club football. The money on offer as well. But what I would say is, fine, if you get in the Champions League, act like a Champions League club once you're in because it's not been a good Champions League uh, campaign at all, has it? Three wins from eight, scored eight goals and then offered up that limp display last night against Milan. They just didn't lay a glove on them in 180 minutes. So it's all well and good wanting to be in the Champions League, but you've got to be competitive once you're in there. Isn't their knockout record since the night in Amsterdam like awful? Uh, I think in the Champions League, they... If they won, I don't think they've. I think they've lost like five in a row, isn't it? It'd be Leipzig, won it in the Champions League, and then yeah. last night, obviously went in the Conference League knockout. And then I think Dinamo just taking Zagreb. Champions League, right? I think, I think the idea is just to take Champions League. I'm pretty sure it's five games without a win. Yeah, yeah. including yeah. the final in Madrid. Yeah, yeah, it's not been great. Right, we'll move on anyway, away from Conte and on to we'll go to what Richarlison said uh, last night because it does link back to Conte he's uh, extremely frustrated shall we say about his lack of football and he's uh, been quite honest as well about his season to date yeah yeah he's not a happy man Um, he said a bad word as well Uh, it was one of those where you just know the Spurs press officers they're standing next to him not having a clue of what he's saying <laughs> to his uh, Brazilian broadcaster. Um, to be fair, what I think happens afterwards is the the foreign broadcaster then gives a little summary of what the interview uh, kind of had. And I guess you've got to be honest because otherwise they're going to find out and then not let you uh, come into the, uh, the mix zone again. But yeah, you know, he always looks like he's crying, Richarlison, I've noticed. After, during and after a game, he's, he's, he's got the wettest eyes I've ever seen in a, on a human being. What um, would be quite good is if someone could do a compilation of every time he's been subbed off. So his yeah. face is just a picture every oh, time. Honestly. He's so upset. Yeah, he always looks very, very emotional. And, and this was, 
I think the the most damning bit, and this happens to players at every club, was that he was says he was told you're going to do a fitness test in the gym today, and if you pass it, you start. And so he thought he was starting, then saw the team, and he was like, "I'm not in it." Um, which, yeah. And the trouble is, I always always worries me when I see stuff like this. Is like he said, "I went to ask for an answer of the manager, and I didn't get it." And I always find that really weird. I mean, what does that entail? Did he like just dismiss them? Um, does he, I, I don't understand how that works. And obviously, Conte is going to be asked about it tomorrow, and it's going to be a very interesting kind of see how he deals with it. Because this is the other thing about Conte. He did look angry yesterday. And I don't think that's a good thing. Uh, especially as his, you know, his Champions League record is awful. That team have not helped him there. You know, he's still now never gone past the quarterfinal. And I think that was only the once. Um, but he got there with Juventus, I think, many, many years back. Um, so, yeah, whether he... I don't know when we see Richardson even in the squad. It'd be interesting Saturday. I think he has to start. I don't think you can not start him after that game. I think you have to change up the lot. I think you have to be Kane. I'd even go as far as I'd, I'd have Kane, Richardson, and Dan Juma. I, I would change it up that much. It'll probably be Lucas Moore. <laughs> just just for everyone to really get annoyed. Um, and he scores a couple of goals because you know, like we say, Forrest is struggling away from home, but. Yeah, I, I kind of understood what Richarlison was saying. I understood what was behind it. I did think he was talking about how well he played against Chelsea and West Ham. He did leave out the fact that he was absolutely horrendous against Sheffield United. But, yeah, I think, as I said earlier, if I'm him and I'm seeing Sonny having a really awful season by his own standards and very rarely ever getting, not even just, um, out of the next game and on the bench. But sometimes during games, other players are coming off rather than him. Um, so, yeah, I guess you end up creating this hierarchy and then some bitterness as well within it. Um, look, Richardson has to do much better. He's a £60 million man that looks like a £6 million man at the moment The way when he plays. Uh, he needs to be a lot better himself and he needs to take any opportunity he gets. But I do also agree with him that he hasn't got the chances that he probably deserves. So, yeah. I'm very intrigued to see the way Conte deals with this because I don't think Conte can pick battles right now with his squad and he needs to decide, I guess, what's the bigger battle, Richarlison being left out or someone else maybe even more popular being left out. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. And you also spoke to Harry Kane, didn't you, in the uh, mix zone? Yeah, Harry Kane uh, was speaking and I think basically saying that Top four is just not enough for Tottenham now. They need to be, you know, competing. Him. Yeah, and, and winning the trophies. And one other quote, what he said, I'll read out, is in relation to the Sheffield United game and just the impact what that has had on Tottenham in the past two games. He said, the last week especially just hasn't been good enough before the Sheffield United game. The season could have been a whole lot different. You go through there, you take that momentum into the league game. Uh, that was the Bulls one. And this game, but I feel like that loss last week put a dagger in our hearts. And as you can see, we haven't really recovered from that. That's just it's had a huge impact, and that Sheffield United defeat. Yeah. Uh, I said direction looking even more daft with each passing match. Yeah, I said it in the previous podcast. Like Kane got to start him, Romero, and it does it. If you win that, it just gives you the momentum for the next 
two games and they've just been on a bit of a downer, haven't they, ever since that. Fair enough, they did play well at Wolves. I thought they started brightly, but I think it was one of those, you don't take your chances, you're going to get punished in the Premier League and that's very much uh, what happened. Good finish from Traore last night. They were so, so poor. Yeah, just so poor last night. And Leaves came with a big decision to make, certainly. Contract running out, going to be in the last 12 months of his deal very soon. Oh, we, uh, is this all depressing enough without thinking about Harry Kane possibly going as well? But yeah, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I, I personally, I struggle to see Spurs allowing him to go to another English club this summer um, without it being a silly fee. But then I wonder if some club calls their bluff on that. Um. And he doesn't seem to want to go abroad. I just wonder where we get to a scenario where if he doesn't sign a new deal, he just sees this one out. Um, and then Spurs end up losing arguably the greatest player they've ever had. You know, if you look at it, him being the all-time top goal scorer for absolutely nothing. Um, and I don't think many fans could begrudge him that if, you know, if they're just going to continue this endless spiral of never really achieving anything um yeah yeah thanks for that thanks for that it was, it was already uh <laughs> sad enough about last night and now thinking about a spurs future without harry kane is not great either yeah but the thing is with kane and his contract it's it's like do you keep persisting with tottenham for another year when trophies aren't going to be guaranteed at all. Obviously, the last one was 2008 when they won. And if you keep doing it, before you know it, your career is going to be coming to an end. So uh, he's got a decision yeah. to make. This, you just reminded me, this was one of the things I heard about too cool by some of the people that know him that, a bit like Conte, I guess, and like you are just saying about Kane, there's a little, there's a bit of doubt there of could he actually win the things that he's used to winning in recent seasons if he were to come to Tottenham? Or is it too much of a project? Um, and that's the thing, you know, they've created this culture at Spurs where people are actually, who have won stuff elsewhere, look at them as a club that is very, very difficult to win things at rather than a challenge. Um, and yeah, it's not good and it doesn't send out any good messages to Harry Kane. Yeah, right. Before we call time on today's podcast, we were having a bit of a discussion in the press box last night. So I think we'll have it again uh, in the podcast. And it is who has been Tottenham's signing of the summer? Now, <laughs> to be near the middle of March and there's not one standout candidate doesn't, you know, look well, does it? going on Tottenham's no. summer sign. On paper, looks really good. Uh, summer for Tottenham with Richarlison and Yves Basuma, two players have done really, really well and the best players at Everton and Brighton, respectively. Even Perisic coming in, a uh, lot of experience, contributes with goals and assists from left wing back. One of the most exciting players in the championship who looked tailor-made for the right wing-back position in Antonio Conte's team. Obviously, Clement Longley coming in on loan from Barcelona, experienced player, uh, provide more competition 
in the back line and then another experienced keeper in Fraser Forster to pride back up to Hugo Lloris. So, Ali, who's your signing of the summer then? <laughs> you know who mine was because I said it last night <laughs> because I just find it utterly ridiculous. Um, I think it might be Fraser Forster <laughs> at this point uh, because, and which is a damning indictment of everything Spurs did that the guy brought in as a backup free transfer goalkeeper you're probably getting the best value for money out of right now because he's not on a huge contract either and then you know we look at someone like Perisic who I think maybe in the first four months or so you could have said okay you could have seen what he's doing for a free transfer but obviously he's on hefty wages and those assists you know we're starting to realize there's a fair bit of set pieces in there as well um, in terms of what he's actually doing during a game, it, it's less impressive. Um, Richarlison, like I say, £60 million done very little. Basuma did very little, then got injured. Um, Jed Spence is doing well for Rent, but that doesn't count. Um, Longley, oh, he's been a bit mixed because he's had some good games and he's had some games where he's like... Wolves was a good example. I thought Wolves, he looked really, really shaky. Um, yeah, and then obviously Poro's just started. Danjuma doesn't exist. Um, I, I think if you're looking for a player across his performances, I think it might even be Forster, which is ridiculous. And I would throw it out maybe as far to say, not even just in this year I'm going to I'm thinking about Paratici's transfers you take out that January window with Benton and Kulusevski it actually becomes quite difficult when you look across the entire kind of players that he's brought I mean Romero yes is a terrific player but right now he's very much um, proving to be you know inconsistent and he's struggling uh, Papa Matisar could be a wonder kid. He could be. But again, we haven't really seen too much of him yet. Uh, Brian Hill is at another club. Emerson Royale is very much the mixed bag. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. Pierre-Luigi Gallini, <laughs> he's not even with the club anymore. It's, yeah. I mean, you know, Levy spoke about these transfer mistakes in recent seasons. I think they're still making them. I don't think they've they've fixed that. Um, who's yours then? Who's your signing of the season? Uh, Clement Longley. Basically Longley, just because yeah. he's, he's played quite a lot of games. I think on the Hurley has been consistent. Not a bad addition. But then again, that's a loan signing. It's not a permanent signing. Yeah. So then you're probably looking at Forster. I think... It's just disgusting, isn't it? It's disgraceful. You can look at Perisic. If you're looking at stats alone, it's Perisic who looks to be the signing of the summer. But all his assists, pretty much about maybe one or two from set pieces. Then when you look at his uh, uh, open play, I think he's just been so, so poor. To be honest, I expected so much more. I think he goes as well mm. probably it it was so good at Inter Milan using yeah. double figures for goals and assists and he's not even scored for Tottenham or even really looked like scoring I know he went close at Wolves but other than that 
can't really remember many chances falling his way. Hasn't he hit the post once, I feel like, in a game? Maybe deflected a deflected shot that hit the post. I can't remember, but I think the assists completely mask uh, what yeah. he's brought to Tottenham uh, so it's far. Just come at the wrong time in his career, I think. This move, yeah, it's the kind of league he needed a bit younger. Yeah, it's always going to be a big ask. I mean, the young players take a lot of time to you know try and adapt to the pace and intensity of the Premier League. So it's going to be. So much harder as well for a 34 year old who's getting towards the end of his uh, career. But yeah, it's not great, is it, when you look at it like that in terms of Tottenham yeah. signings? And speaking to our friend Jonathan Veal on the way back last night, and uh, what after talking about a potential Tottenham's best signing of the summer, then it was, well, who was the last player barring? Kulosevsky and Benton Curves actually had an impact on the starting eleven. Oh yeah. It's whether you go all the way back to Hoybier, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh Tottenham needed to boost the squad numbers uh in the summer because towards the end of last season there was like three or four Academy players on the bench every yeah. week. One wasn't good enough, so they've done that. We've just not seen enough. Injuries haven't helped have the to Richarlison and Basuma and you no. know they can kick on under a possible new manager next season and prove the worth but when you're paying big money you want an immediate impact Tottenham just thank god it middle of March it's crazy it is and you know it does make you wonder if Parasici does have to go when they look back over those transfers you know do they end up missing what he's done it's it's, it's a difficult one you know you, how much say has he had have the structure that he's putting behind the scenes is that going to be a success maybe that's something that could be his legacy I don't know but uh, yeah when you're considering whether 34 year old backup goalkeeper is your best signing of the entire season it's uh, it's not a good look for the recruitment department no, not at all. Right, we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. We'll be back next week to reflect on the Nottingham Forest game, probably a bit more about Antonio Conte's Tottenham future, and then next Saturday's Premier League game away at Southampton. So, as ever, thank you for tuning in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.